Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I am Jack Fowler, the host, but the star and the namesake. And that's the man who, with the wisdom, and that's why you're here. You hear him. That's Victor Davis Hanson. And he is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. If you're new to the show, welcome. Happy to have you here. Um, you should know that Victor has a website, The Blade of Perseus. Its web address is victorhanson.com, and I'll tell you more about that later in the show. So much has happened uh, this past week. Many things Victor has discussed uh, with the great Sammy Wink on some of the other um, editions of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. I encourage you to go listen to them. But some of the things we're going to talk about on, on this episode are uh, Victor's um, recent X slash Twitter posting about the Ivy League college presidents who testified before Congress, as he calls them, the three blind mice. And we have a Hunter Biden indictment. We have some crazy congressional testimony about Catholics and transgenderism. And then we also have Victor's thoughts about Victor the Traveler. And we're going to get to all these things right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 Five, 6, That's 1-800-245-6000 or 
Visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. You know, Victor, I, I want to set things clear again for some, for some of our listeners who heard, you know, recently when you said you're you're re- retiring, but you went you're retiring from travel, right? Uh, you've <laughs> you've you've had job like travel experiences more than most people I I know, and you went on on another re- a, a uh, speaking. Um, I'm not going to call it a tour, but you were speaking no. in Florida. Yeah, the Hoover Institution and, and uh, uh, six days. Yeah, but and uh, but tell I, us I, about get it out of the way. Tell us about yeah. Victor in airports and airplanes. Well, part of the problem is you know when I'm at work, I fly to San Jose and it has a good airport, and some of them are transcontinental. But then I have to drive three hours to my farm, so I've been I fly from Fresno, and that means you. You've got to get connection, but on the way back, back we got. I go in Palm Beach or very early. It's it's a short connection, forty five minutes. But we get in, and the plane is ready to go, and we're going to be on time. And of course, I thought the plane came in the night before, Jack. So what happens in twelve hours? Does something go wrong when it sits there? So we get in the plane, we're ready to go, and guess what? A pot, a little light in the cockpit was on. And Palm Beach is not a big airport, so they have to contract out 10, 20 minutes, of course. And I don't blame the pilots, you know, but they have they have to they can't say it's gonna be an you know, an hour. So by the time we took off, I was gonna make miss my connection. Okay, the next connection was Dallas. Dallas. Yeah, the next yeah. thing is seven hours later. So I go out, and it says that the the connecting flight to Fresno is already you know on the it says taxi because you have those little apps you know from different right. sources you can. So I start sitting down having coffee, and then I thought, wait a minute, it's been taxiing a long time. It's, it's so I run over to two terminals. <laughs> hard to do in dallas you got to take those little skyways yeah and so anyway i get there and the door is closed and i say what's happening they said well they have to come back in 
And I said, is there any chance you're going to let? And there were three other people who missed the different flights. And they said, well, we don't know, but stick around. So I went over to get finish. You know, I, I, I had bought the coffee and didn't just do it away because I was running. And so now I went to go get another one. And all of a sudden, the guy who was, he was walking into the bathroom. He said, you better come back. And then they said, of course, in 20 minutes, you can board. Well, I had a business ticket. I lost that, of course. So they just said, board anywhere you're going to go. So you get on the plane and my God, I was only going to be, I missed the connection. It was an hour. So it was about two hour delay, right? This isn't bad. Sit, 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 sit. The problem that made me, the problem that my connecting flight had that brought it back from taxi and that gave me an opportunity at least to get a bad seat, um, free-for-all seat, was now not addressed. This is a American Airlines port, right? So I thought, wow. Right. You know, hub. Yeah. So I thought. Dallas is a hub for America. Yeah. So I thought, wow, they, they'll fix it. But they couldn't fix it. We sat there for almost an hour. Just right next to the, you know, in the sky, what a hookup. So then they take us back. And now everybody's out, you know, 150 or whatever. And they cancel the flight. So whatever the problem was with the brakes, they couldn't fix it. And the brakes problem had given me a chance to, 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 you know, so now it's getting up to three hours. And then they bring another. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at my six-hour, seven-hour flight doesn't look that bad. It's only, you know, I, it's four hours I'd have to wait. So, But I'm looking at, you know, probably with the time going to the airport and going home, I'm looking like a 16-hour trip. And then they brought another plane in. So then we board that plane and we get home. And the whole thing was uh, just never knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Four-hour delay but much better than seven and a half hour delay. That's just typical. It's just t- every time you get on uh, drama planes. Yeah. yeah, it is. I don't know which is better. I always thought I couldn't get a Delta flight. My experience is Delta best of, of the major carriers and then American. And then the worst is United. But last time I was in United, they were very polite and I took a nonstop flight. So they couldn't screw that up. And Out of, from Fresno to no, you well, they had you know what Fresno had nonstop flights to Chicago for a while. Oh that yeah, was, that was my uh, famous flight where we took off four hours late from Chicago, and there was because there was one baggage handler, and he and he couldn't. I mean, it took him an hour to do it, and then we got in the air uh, late, four hours late, and then we decided that we had to stop at Denver because we didn't have enough fuel for the next morning flight, so we had to top off our flight because there wasn't enough fuel in Fresno for the morning flight. And it would be half an hour, but two hours later, we take off from Denver to get to Fresno. And that thing was, I don't know what it was, nine to 10 hours late. So that was my nonstop, easygoing, no problem flight from uh, Chicago to Fresno. But that flight has been apparently terminated, that, that route. And I'm in a bad mood anyway, because I mean... You go to Palm Beach, you speak, speak, you get jet lag, and then you do this. And I came home with a flu, and then yeah, that trip, and I felt bad because I was a, it was a messy flu, if you know what I mean, coughing, sneezing, and you're right next to a poor guy, and you had a mask on, and I apologized. I didn't know what to do. I kind of put my turned my – it was a, kind of a middle seat, one of those 
where you're there. That was all was left. You're there. And then the jump seat was the attendant, you know? Yeah. So they come in and sit down. So I was in the middle for some of the, a lot of the flight, but anyway, this is in my other trial. I'm still waiting for, it's five months, Jack, a beautiful echo diesel Ram 1500, 30 miles a gallon, 830 mile um, range on it. Nothing wrong. 20,000 miles or so. Turbo yeah. blows out. One month to get it in. Wait. Another month to fix it. They fix it. But I haven't had a truck for two months. And get out. Three, four weeks later, the turbo hose blew, blows that they put in new. So then I say, well, it'll be a month almost to get in. Okay. I wait a month. No truck. Three months now. They put it in. And that is October 7th and November 7th. Uh, it's two months it's sitting there for the want of a little turbo hose because they can't get it and so bottom line you pay 60,000 bucks for a beautiful truck and in two years it's been there five months and then they send you Mopar sends you of course that the high pressure fuel pump is defective and it could go out and they warn you in the letter it can go out anytime get them fixed of course, I've called them three times, dealer. Oh, we don't have them. Well, I said, well, why do you send a letter to get it fixed immediately? And it's a hazard. So now it's sitting in there waiting for a turbo hose, but it also has a recall, very important, on a high-pressure fuel pump. And of course, I said, why don't you just, if you think it's, just take a, a new new old model because it, it would have 20,000. No, you can't do that. So I am at this point so angry at Ram. I haven't had a, a truck for five months Yeah, that I'm oh. going to go in there and I offered them the dealer. I won't mention the dealer, but I will if this goes on. I'm going to offer them a deal. I said, you give me the uh, and I it's all it's a beautiful truck. I put, you know, the you know, the the lid on the bed that folds up and all yeah. that stuff. I did all that and I coated the bed. It's really a beautiful truck. I really loved it. And it was wonderful to drive to uh, Stanford back and forth. But I said to him, why don't you buy me, just give me the, I'll, I'll pay the sticker price for a new, and I won't even go to, I love Tundras. I had a Tundra for 16 years. It never had one thing. I gave it to my daughter. I said, I will buy a Tundra. The reason I didn't is because they don't have V8s and the new models. But I tell you what, I will uh, buy a Ram from you at your sticker price. If you just take back your beautiful truck, that's been in your shop now okay. for five months and give okay. me, and I will, I will write off the $2,500, uh, warranty. I will write off the $1,700 bedliner and bed top. And you just, and I won't try to haggle with you. Just give me the sticker price on either a new Echo Diesel that's sitting there you can't sell because of the recall or a gas. And I haven't heard. I mean, they didn't seem very excited about that. Well, check your emails. from. I forwarded an email. I'm not sure if it was from Mike. You know, I have Walter. to. I'll, I'll check whoever it was because I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. Yeah, parts. Uh, a guy wants to uh, give you some uh, parts help if if uh, if he if he can. Victor, I, this is your show. Uh, you know these the rants are are appreciated by people. I'm just trying to think of the, the way they treat everybody. Yeah. This this wasn't true five or six years ago. The airlines made. I mean, they're. Their planes are, I don't know if they've been sitting too long during COVID, but they're overtaxed. 
And when a plane comes in and there's something wrong with it, they have 12 hours to fix it. And they don't. And I and this has happened more than four or five times. I told you the United flight, the window wouldn't go up. And it was when you take the first flight out and the plane came in the day before, you know, like seven in the at night or 10 or four in the afternoon. Right. You would. And I mean, I know that I don't know anything about planes, but usually when my car runs pretty well and I put it in the garage and then the next morning, it, it's the same as it was that night. Good odds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know what they're doing, but they and then they I, I think they're under some policy not to disclose, I guess, the actual weight. And part of the problem is the us, the people, you know, when you go on those planes, uh, I was on the same plane and a woman next to me, nice woman, had a very large bag. And I said, it's not going to fit. She came in late. I said, it's not going to fit in the old. But she was, you know, kind of frail. There was no place to put it. So I said, I'll put it in. So I put it in, tight squeeze, very heavy. And I didn't touch it to try to close it. Well, the attendant did a really nice job. He tries to close it. And guess what? The whole thing breaks and all the stuff's out. So now we're ready to take off. And I'm in the third aisle so I can make this connection, which I didn't think I would, but at least I would be out the door and they take all of our bags to the very back. So then we, we have to wait yeah. 15 minutes because our overhead is now taped shut and empty and all of our bags are put way in the back. And I was really careful. I let most people go, but I thought, you know, maybe the thing is taxing. I didn't know what would happen. I wanted to get out of there. So I kind of, you know, went, went two rows when a guy was taking his bags out and then i ducked into a aisle then two but i didn't hold it up right 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 and this woman says to me how dare you do this you have no right to go back here we're i said i haven't obstructed anybody while you get your bags i go too and i said you're taking more time to yell at me than you would just to leave i said i was <laughs> on i had the second row i paid a lot of money for a business ticket and i i have no overhead they just took it and put it way at the back i need to get it and I'm not holding anybody. I, 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 you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. People are so. Uh, you know, it's just it's partly the passengers don't listen. They don't care. They're rude. And this is just a lot of anxiety. It's not worth it. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not worth it. I'm. Yeah. I. I've said uh, the last ten days. No, no, no. Please, thank you very much. Very kind of you. That was very gracious. That was very generous. But I'm not doing it. I'm not. Oh, gonna. these are invitations to. Come yes, to I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. And yeah, yeah. I think I, you know, I, I did six out of state trips since September, and it's not worth it. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe the mountains will come to Muhammad. So sometimes, Victor, you know, that airport you fly into when you do fly, when, it, when the yes. plane finally arrives, Fresno, sometimes <laughs> another person who flies in there, I would imagine frequently, is Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker. Of he does. House. I've seen him. Uh, he flies Bakersfield, but I've seen him at the Fresno airport. Yeah. Well, he's he's uh, again in the news this week, Victor. And, I saw uh, that. News, I'm sure I've seen a little... Um, uh, a clip of a speech he gave where he says, essentially, you, know, you look at the Democratic Party and it looks like America and you look at the Republican Party and it doesn't look like America. And I found that. Did he say it was like a country club exclusive? Yeah, yeah I don't understand yeah. that. I like Kevin McCarthy. I wanted him to continue to be speaker. I think he's a lot more conservative than people accused him. I don't think he's been a rhino. Uh 
Devin Nunes, whom I have enormous respect for, he's one of the most savvy guys I know, is in the district next to him, and I thinks very highly of Kevin. But what I didn't understand about that comment were two or three things. uh, First is it came on some anger. You remember they had accused him, rightly or wrongly, of brushing somebody deliberately when he was walking in the congressional halls? uh, Yes, yes. And it was a little weird, you know what I mean? And I didn't know like if that was... Like it was going to lead to fisticuffs or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why. And then after you're speaker and you're down to like, because of these, you know, George Santos is gone, you have this razor thin four or five and who knows who shows up. It seems to me that if you were speaker and you were the nominal head of the entire Republican Party, no matter how stupid and nihilistic it was to have you removed you know, by Matt Gates, you would at least finish out the next 11 months or the next year because because right. your seat, Gavin Newsom won't fill that seat. I mean, he has to schedule the election, I think, and it'll be a Republican, but it'll take months. There could be some close votes that won't, you know what I mean? Right. So why, why would you resign right now? Why and, would you? Yeah, you're going to have a big, if you're going to get a lobbyist, you'll, it'll always be there. Why, why are you going to do that? Yeah. If if you really, really, if Kevin really wants to be speaker and they did him an injustice, and I think they did, what he should do is stay there and then use his treasure chest. Uh, it still must be there and tour the country and go try to get, you know, plus one Democrats uh, margins in House seats or two and flip seats and get 20 30 people elected in a landslide of 2024. Then when the new new people come in, have them vote you in. And that was something. And the other thing is, I I think Johnson is trying to do a good job. And then the fourth thing is, what he said was not true. If you Not true. If you look at the zip codes of the wealthiest places in the United States, they're all blue. If you look at the congressional districts by per capita income, they're blue, the highest. If you look at California, I Devin Nunes is in a Republican district. So is Kevin. He knows that Bakersfield is not Atherton. It's not La Jolla. It's not San-Francisco. It's a, it's much poorer. So the money in in politics is is on the left. Uh, Donald Trump was outspent three and a half to one. And when you look at the Fortune 400, go look at it, right. Kevin. Go look at it and okay. see who they are, except for now maybe Elon Musk. They're Zuckerberg and Michael Bloomberg and the Google Bunch and the Apple and the Amazon. They're all that way. And they're all an investment, hedge funds, media, tech, and they're all left wing. And I don't understand that. I mean, I work at Stanford University. You can't. I ride my bike around the campus. You can't see a house for less than three million bucks. And believe me, when I saw the last election, that precinct went ninety-four percent for Biden. And so that was just wrong. And uh, I don't know what he what he meant by that. Well, I, that's, that's an archaic, fossilized idea it, that might have been true twenty years ago, but. The MAGA, the whole MAGA agenda is hated because the middle class populist national conservative movement is middle class people. Kevin knows that better than anything. I can go 
three miles from here, I can go to Home Depot or Food for Life or any of these big shopping center type, uh, you know, Home Depot, and I will see dozens of people, poor white people, poor Hispanic people, and they'll come up and talk about how conservative they are. And I go, I go to Palo Alto, and I am on the Stanford campus, and there's nobody that's conservative except a few people at Hoover. And if I go to a, a restaurant, I do, and I do a lot by myself. I try to go by myself in Menlo Park, Palo Alto, Los Altos. If you're sitting by yourself for your $90 dinner that would cost 40 in Fresno, and you're sitting there, and you just listen to people, and all I hear is left-wing stuff. And they're wealthy people. And I don't know what he meant by that. It was inaccurate. It was unnecessary. It was, I, it really bothered me. Yeah. Well, it's um, throw anything but in the kitchen sink and at your enemies. And who are his enemies at this? It's probably not the Democrats. It's the 20 plus yes. Republicans who, along the way, whether it was the final vote to oust him or the original series of votes. To, uh, to elect him um, are a not small group, 20 plus, two dozen or there uh, who are probably probably considers his political enemies. And I, well, he probably got I can I can understand why he got he probably got a lot of them elected the last two or three elections yeah. because yeah. He, he did. That was his great strength. He raised money and he spotted good candidates. You know, I, I'm Mike Garcia, something, you know, Garcia in California was a great candidate. And right. even that crazy woman in Pennsylvania, I shouldn't say that, but Representative Mace, remember her, who had to have uh, sex before she went to the prayer breakfast? In South South Carolina, Nancy yeah. Mace, yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think he helped her get elected. And yes. they, some of them flipped. But what my point is this, does he really think the Republican Party has changed from the last, oh, 90 days since he was speaker until now. So if he really believed that, why didn't he say to people privately or in publicly, we got a real problem in the Republican Party. We are a affluent, exclusive country club party. He didn't say that. Yeah. He never said that. He only said it when he was angry. And that's not good. Yeah. He's got to put the, I think we're going to lose this election. In 2000, this election has all of the makings of a, it really does, of a 1972 Nixon blowout or a 1984 Reagan blowout. And better, because you could take the Senate, you can take the House, you can take the presidency, and whether it's uh, DeSantis, who's still ahead of Haley, or Trump, and Trump is, has a huge lead, they know what to do, and they will come in with an agenda and people they can trust after what they've seen the last four years and the sabotage during the Trump period against him. And all you have to do is unite. That's all you have to do. They should have never been fighting in front of the public with the speaker. They should not. Kevin shouldn't be saying that now. And they sh that, you know, that debate, we can talk about the debate, but. Uh, Ramaswamy and Christie have zero chance to be elected. And somebody's going to say to me, well, they brought out things where their directness and their, I don't care. They, they took almost as much airtime as DeSantis and Haley. And that's what people want to know. Who's the second and who's the third if Trump gets in legal trouble? 
And instead, we had all of this back and forth. They got to unite. Everybody's got to say, I will support the nominee no matter what. If you're a MAGA guy, I think I'm a MAGA guy. I will support wholeheartedly Ron DeSantis. I will support Donald Trump. And I will, and I got in trouble for saying this, I will support Nikki Haley over Joe Biden. You better believe I will. In fact, over any socialist, which right. is the synonymous with a Democratic nominee. And if anybody says, well, you're just a rhino, Victor, I, I don't care. Well, well, Victor, that's the reason Donald Trump was president in part was because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. You know, it wasn't necessarily a lot of people voting him because they wanted Donald exactly. Trump. A lot of people didn't want you know the alternative. So and, and what uh, did and everybody should ask yourself, what did the never Trumpers achieve? What did George Will achieve? What did David Frum achieve? What did Bill Crystal? What did Charles Sykes? What did all of them achieve? Mona Chair, the whole our former colleagues. I'm not trashing achieved Kevin a war Wynn. in Ukraine. Uh, this yes. violence in the Middle East. That's what they've achieved, right? 500, 500 Obama, Michelle, Barack selected judges <laughs> as well who are flooding the judiciary. And you can see the ones that will be assigned to Trump. And they gave us uh, 7% interest rates. They gave us 8 million illegal aliens. We're, we're going to be dealing with that for years. They gave us a Chinese balloon that we humiliated us. They gave us a Hamas war. And that's what we that's what you do when you say, not in my name will I vote for Donald Trump. And then they said, you know, this whole dictator thing, Jack, it's just like on spec. So Donald Trump now is ahead of Joe Biden. A, Joe Biden is failing geometrically, as I always say, at a geometric rate. And he the other day, Jack, he was mentioning a girl again. I could not believe it. Girl, he mentioned somebody. I mean, he can't be let loose without eyeing, talking, touching some preteen girl. He's completely unfit to be president. And then we've got Hunter, and we'll talk about the indictment, no doubt. But yes. the whole Biden corrupt consortium is falling apart, and the left knows it. And they say, oh, my God. They're going to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, we tried the lie about the laptop disinformation. Don't remind us of the Russian collusion lie. We said the Bidens were as clean as possible. They were just perfect. That was a lie. Uh, we tried to get him off the ballot. That's not working. We've got Latita James, Alvin Bribe, Fanny. Willis and Jack Smith, that looks pretty good. But in case it doesn't, let's resurrect that old chestnut. Let's get that old chestnut and say, he's a dictator. And I thought to myself, okay. So then he, by fiat, tried to cancel student loans? No, right before the midterm. Did he, by fiat, just start draining the prestigious petroleum reserve for electoral advantage? No, he filled it up. He filled it up. Did he lie? Did he his FBI guys were they all pro Trump and they tried to subvert the FBI? No, they lied under oath, most of them, and they tried to ruin the, uh, him in 2016. They're they're let loose their retrieval service for the Biden family, whether laptops, guns, or diaries. And of course, we know uh, they love Catholic uh, masses in Latin, and they like to go after student. They work with Twitter. They pay him $3 million. Did he do that? No. How about whistleblowers in the IRS? Uh, did 
did he quash an investigation and there's whistleblow? No, he didn't. And we can go on and on and on, but by any classification of a dictator, he didn't qualify. He may have talked trash. He may have tried to provoke people. He may have, who knows? But when you actually look, did he break U.S. immigration law and let in 8 million people? No. He didn't do any of that. Did he start a war? No. So there's no classification of dictatorship that fits him. And yet that's what they're trying to pass on because he's ahead in the polls. Biden's corrupt and failing. Yeah. And speaking of dictators, Biden sort of reminds you of Francisco Franco, right? I mean, he's still he's, he's hanging in there. Uh, well, actually, or maybe Charles, I mean, um, Patan, General Patan. Yes, he, right. De- because, de- decrepit. Yeah, decrepit. Yeah. I don't know. He's. Uh, I just don't oh. think he's. I don't think he's going to be viable. I really don't. I don't think they can run him. I don't. I think what. I think it's pretty clear now. It's kind of too late for a viable candidate, and they've got a problem with Cornell West and this congressman. Is his name Phillips? That's running, and then they've got Jill Stein retread, and they've got Robert Kennedy. They've got one one percentage here, two percentage here, three percentages, one percentage. You add them all up, they're going to lose four or five percent in some of these states that are critical and that's yeah. whoever, whoever runs. And if you put him in on the ticket, he's going to lose. Um, and they know it. And I don't know whether he's going to be able to finish the next 11 months, but the point is right. they're stuck with him and they will nominate him and then he'll have the delegates and then they can, they can, you know, they can get rid of him and Henry Wallace, 1944 style, just get rid of him and just appoint somebody. And that'll be, that'll be interesting because they're going to have to then snub a black woman, Kamala Harris, which sets the stage for Michelle, I suppose. Yeah. Gavin well, didn't do too well in his debate. Uh <laughs> No, he didn't. And uh, I, I thought that what I saw of it, DeSantis did uh, did fine. I don't know that that propelled him to the next debate, where which, which I know you've talked about with, with uh, Sammy. And, and uh, only I saw his figure. I think only 4 million Americans watched that, that uh, last Republican debate. So I don't know what consequence that will have. But, hey, Victor, you were talking about uh, Joe Biden, and I think it's time maybe we shifted a little genera- generationally and get your thoughts on Hunter Biden. And we'll do that right after uh, these important messages. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and Its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and globalization are destroying the idea of America, the Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. 
The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, before we talk about uh, Hunter, I'd just like to take a minute to welcome back uh, one of our fine sponsors, Carty & Company. And Carty & Company is a family-operated and nationally recognized fixed-income investment firm with more than 50 years of experience. If you want control of your financial destination and decisions, but also want an experienced and knowledgeable person's guidance based on your risk tolerance and your financial objectives, then visit cartico.com. That's C-A-R-T-Y-C-O.com. Generally for in initial investments of $5,000 and up. Find the investment that's right for you by visiting cartico.com that's c-a-r-t-y-c-o.com and we thank the good people of carty and company for sponsoring the victor davis hansen show well victor uh, this uh, we're recording dear listeners on the saturday the 9th of december and uh, earlier this uh, uh two days ago or maybe it was even yesterday i forget now uh, hunter biden has finally been indicted uh, for tax evasion. 
Um, this was in the uh, base out of California. Fifty-six page indictment came out of these the special counsel's office, same special counsel that wanted to give Hunter a break. Victor uh, Jonathan Turley has a great analysis of this in the New York Post. He's also been on Fox a lot. He's on Fox frequently, analyzing uh, this. So finally, we've got you know we've got Hunter is in some legal. Uh, uh, site. Uh, Joe Biden is not per this. Uh, where the money come from, Victor? Where was all this money from which taxes were evaded? And what about monies that were not part of this indictment? Because the um, the lollygagging, intentional lollygagging, it seems, of, of uh, pro- federal prosecutors allowed the, um, uh, now I can't think of the term, you know, for, for uh, the statute of limitations yes. to, to pass. So anyway, Victor Hunter's uh, in the spotlight. Your thoughts? Uh, you know, it's very funny because he used every angle his lawyer did and of delay and delay. So the big criminal exposure of the millions of dollars, as you said, the statute of limitations has, you know, is in effect. So he's not going to have legal exposure. So this was the minor just I don't know how many million, million, oh, million and a half or something. And most of them are misdemeanors. There's three felonies. But what's interesting is we were driving back from Los Angeles. I had my last Pepperdine class uh, to teach. And Fox had a whole series of, have you heard these Joe Biden? I mean, we've talked about pay your fair share. He, he goes on and on. He's all over the country. He said, uh, Rich is going to pay your fair share. And then he does his little whisper, pay your fair share. He, I mean, that was a mantra with him. Yeah. Anyone and here, who doesn't make, uh, makes less than 400,000 will not see a tax yes. increase. I think and I, I'm, I'm thinking the top rate is 39%. And California, it's, I think, over 400. It's 13.3. And it gets up to 9 or 10 very quickly. 60, 70, 80, 90,000. So, and then you got Social Security payroll tax and you've got Obamacare tax and all of this, and you can easily pay 55. And if you're not in business, you have no deductions. And so, and you look at California, one and a half percent pay 50% of the income tax. So, well, who's getting killed is are maybe not the ultra rich like you know, Mark Zuckerberg or those guys that have all sorts of capital gains income and all that. But what I'm saying is that it's the upper middle class that's getting killed. And he's he's been lecturing it as if they're somehow amoral. The whole time he has been getting money where he has written at the bottom loan repayment, but he has no loan documents apparently that could substantiate that, that fraudulent uh, ruse. And Hunter... You know, what's going to I thought at first when he got indicted, the timing is peculiar because they've known about his shenanigans so long. I thought, well, maybe he's scheduled to, you know, testify. Remember how all uh, Ollie uh, North kind of really flummoxed every time they said he would lean over to that. He had a really brilliant uh, Brendan Sullivan. Brendan Sullivan was a brilliant lawyer. I am not a potted plant. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And you remember. He'd always say uh, they had to give him limited immunity because he was facing criminal charges. Right. And he, he just he had an excuse. And Hunter, I think, will go before 
the House investigatory committees and say, look, I can't talk. I, I'm under investigation. I've been indicted. So that was unusual. I don't know if that helps him. And the second is it just shows you that for him to be indicted, there are people in the DOJ. They know how to talk to people off the record. And they're ba basically said, OK, it's time. And it's a win-win for us, because if we get him indicted, then we can tell Donald Trump's people that Trump got indicted, but somebody in the Biden family got indicted. And more importantly, it'll it may lead to Joe having to step down. All Joe has to say is, look, I've got all sorts of problems. I, I'm loyal to my son, my wonderful son, who never took a penny, who never discussed anything with him, and I've got to help him. And he's facing legal jeopardy. So I think this indictment would not have happened unless the Biden DOJ, because the federal charge had something to do with it. And we'll see if it, how it leads. A lot of people said, well, at least Hunter's going to be the fall guy and that will end it. I don't think so. We, you and I have talked about that. This guy is a He's got a very perverse mind when he was facing the original IRS charges that, that you know, that the DO, Merrick Garland's DOJ let him off on. Remember, he had his lawyer had threatened to call Joe Biden, his dad, right. as president, right. call him. And that put the fear of God into Joe Biden. I think that was very brilliant in a Machiavellian way of, of making sure that that. That charge never got came to trial. Because he was willing to go the full, if he's under, and I talked about that before, you read that laptop very carefully, that laptop correspondence, and it's full of anger at Joe Biden, you know, the big guy. And he takes, I pay his bills, and at least I'm not doing to you, and says to, I think, his daughter or his cousin, uh, what dad's doing to me, taking 50%, I pay his, his utilities, and then under such scrutiny, we've talked about that before, why would he start painting with his mouth and these horrific paint-by-number paintings and then sell them for hundreds of thousands of dollars to influence people, peddle the influence of his dad when he's under a microscope? And he does that to basically, I think he's basically saying on the laptop with the threat to call his own father, the president of the United States, in as a witness to get him tarnished and to be high ex all the bad publicity that comes from his art shakedown. He's basically saying what he said in the laptop. Okay, Hunter's the bad guy. We understand. He snorts. He has hookers. He wastes money. He drives at 120 miles. I get it. But you know what Hunter also does? He does the dirty work. He flies all over the world. He shakes down governments. He brings back millions of dollars and he distributes it to Frank Biden and Joe Biden and all the Bidens. And he never gets any any credit except Hunter is a crackhead. Hunter got a girl pregnant again. Hunter is this. Hunter's that. And I'm sick of it. Hunter. Hunter says I'm sick of it. And I don't get credit for enriching my whole family. And then when he and you can see it again because the day after the indictment, Jack, he goes on radio i think it was was it moby that, moby yeah the, the electronic synthesizer guy yes yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> bald neck tattooed uh odd, yeah oddball yeah and he goes on there and then he basically says the mother effers are trying to kill me nobody's been trying to kill you honey you've been trying to kill yourself 
from drugs and hookers and all of your nefarious business ties. And then he starts attacking and he's just out of control. And there's something there. I keep saying he's trying, he's basically, I think, leveraging his family. And I think that's, it has worked because the DOJ wouldn't touch him until now. And the only reason they're touching him now is that, I think they've they I think Barack and Michelle and got together with Bernie and everybody and they decided he's expendable Biden Joe and let yeah. the wheel wheels of justice finally you know start rolling okay. rolling again and the other thing I think is I at first I thought they'll never convict him in California never because of the juries the prosecutors and the judges then I thought you know what when I looked at those writs and the average Californian who's left wing and he starts seeing what he wrote off as a business expense, <laughs> you know, uh, prostitution and uh, adult movies, all these horrific things he was claiming as a business expense. The average person is going to go livid when they see that. You mean I work every day and and I dry, I work at the DMV all day long and I get these deductions and I don't take any uh, I did, you know, all these government deductions and it's my turn to deduct for business. I have no business. And this guy gets he's tax free because he's writing off hookers and drugs and all this stuff. I think it'll really be hard for him to get acquitted when once a good prosecutor brings up. And I think that's the reason that they have publicized it, what right. he actually claimed as a deduction and the lifestyle he led. And that's going to get a lot of people very angry. Yeah, imagine if if I'm not a prosecutor, nor do I play one on television, Victor, but I can see a prosecutor asking uh, to a jury, you know, imagine if you got tried this, just one of the one of the weirdo write-offs. Yeah, I think he'll just well, say, would, you know you what? Be in prison or, or would you be here? He'll, <laughs> he'll look right at the jury and he said, uh, this isn't about anything other than equality under the law. This man right there that you're looking at, he ordered a prostitute to come to his room and you and you and you and you paid half of it because in his income bracket, he gets a 50% savings when he deducts the entire cost. So you, you, you in the jury were paying for his pornography and you were paying for his call girls and his exploitation of women <laughs> and maybe some of his drugs. Yeah. And that's what you were doing. And right. now, now you have a chance to look at him and say, not in my name, you're not going to do it anymore. You're going to go to jail and think about how you ripped me off. If you got a prosecutor like that, you'll lose. By the way, you saw daddy finally got asked a question. <laughs> He's never asked a question by by the press, but somehow or other, I think a Fox reporter got in somehow. Uh, I forget what what the uh, you know the the pool. I, you know, it was his turn the pool, and and Biden was ash, actually asked about associating with Hunter's business associates, and the president angrily snapped back, "That's all a bunch of lies." Despite Victor, all the pictures. Golf tournaments where Joe Biden is hanging out with lies, 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 lies. He said three times, lies, lies, lies. It's the only time he's been animated since he was elected. It was sort of like a shot of a an epipen or an adrenaline shot. He just suddenly came alive. Lies, lies.
Yeah. God, he's even Bill Clinton didn't do that when I never had sex with that woman. Yeah. I mean, this was it was pathetic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm worried. Still... I, I I have half of me. I don't enjoy any of this. I don't think anybody listening does. I think we're starting to see now that this is very dangerous because we've got Iran who is almost every day with surrogates staging an attack on Americans. They attack the embassy in Iraq, in Baghdad with rockets. They're attacking everything we have. There are ships and they're just thinking that guy is not going to do it. If you had a strong Republican or even a Democrat, you, they would act. They would call Iran up and say, you do that one more time and you're, we're not going to go, you know, invade your country, but you're going to get a big tomahawk and it's not going to just go at your the periphery of your base. It's going to take out your entire fleet. It's going to take out your oil. It's going to take out your electric. So don't do it and then do it if they do it again. Anybody American would do that. That's the, that's the chief responsibility of the commander in chief is to protect the American people and their security. And Iran is at the source, it's the source of all the problems in the Middle East. And, yeah. uh, and he doesn't do anything. I mean, he, he gives it money through lifting sanctions. He pays them $1.2 billion. He wants to, for hostages. He tries to beg them to reenter the Iran deal. He doesn't say anything about Hezbollah and what they're doing with all this Iranian money. Hamas wouldn't exist without Iranian money. And yet he's quiet. Well, Victor, we have time to get your thoughts on what you call the three blind mice. And we will get to that right after this final important message. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, on I'll still call it Twitter, just to antagonize some of our listeners who do not like when I call it Twitter. No, that's not nice. On X, Victor, where you are writing significantly every week, you just posted today, it's up today on the on December 9th, our three blind mice, and you're talking about 
Claudine Gay, the president of yes. Harvard, Sally Kornbluth of MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania's Liz McGill, who maybe you cross paths with, uh, uh, Victor. She she was running Stanford's law school. You maybe oh uh, yeah, I know I know all about Stanford's law school, yeah. home of the power couple, the voice of morality, the people who are going to change the tax code to show more social justice, the person who's going to bundle all of the money in Silicon Valley and direct it to real progressive candidates that can make a real change. Mr. Be the Bankman Fried. Yes. <laughs> oh, professor, they are? professor and Professor Bankman and Professor and Fried and their brilliant Sam Bankman Fried's son, all of three who live maybe, I don't know, three quarters of a mile from my apartment. And I don't know what to say. They all said they had a disin uh, no interest in, in money and they were progressives and they were out. And then we find out. They're all facing lawsuits and maybe worse because they have a uh, Professor Bankman Freed, Bankman, I, I suppose. Remember, he he writes and says something to the effect, well, I, I'm a consultant. My son, I, I 250000 I was promised a million. Right. <laughs> I took right. the year off. I need a million dollars from somebody else's money that I have no intention of paying back from this Ponzi scheme, and we got a $16 million Bahamas house in our name. I don't know how that happened. I'm a professor of law at Stanford, but somebody just plopped down a house in our name with somebody else's money, and we didn't say much about it. I want to give it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people who are who for years claim they know every iota of legal nuances, suddenly they can't, they don't know anything. Well, they don't know anything. So well, I, at Stanford I raised, Law School and Judge yeah. Duncan, it's the home of Judge Duncan too. His visit, remember? Yeah. Uh, well, there's, the, a, there's there's a mood there that may have been set by Liz McGill, who used to run the the Stanford Law School, exact, right? Was, exactly. I, we had the law professor. Do you remember when testifying about impeachment? Said, uh, and she went after Baron Trump and said he's no Baron. That was one. And then we had uh, during this uh, Susan Bla uh, Blasey Ford, we had another uh, person who was out of line, a law professor. And then we yeah. had them. They went after the Federal Society and had a fake thing like the Federal Society had started a riot. And then we had the students who said that Judge Duncan's uh, daughters should be raped. Right. And we yeah. had the DEI uh, woman the law DEI who hijacked his lecture. And, and lo and behold, she had a written script as if it was spontaneous. <laughs> hey, Judge Duncan, just a minute. Right? You're not going to speak here. I got to intervene. Oh, I have a prepared speech to attack you. You're my guest. And that's what they did. And, you know, well, if you want we're, we're, we're a few days out from their testimony. These, um, the 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 trio the three yes. blind mice yes. and um, I know you talked about it with with uh, Sammy a little bit but if you want to, if you wouldn't mind discussing why you felt you know obligated not obligated moved to write this piece on on yes uh, I, I did Twitter. I got I got very angry I know that everybody listened got angry but they had a smug on their face and the first thing was if you're going to be president of Harvard. Or MIT or PIN, these Ivy League exclusive, then they suggest to you that they are the best and the bright. They're not. And 
they how you get to be president in the old days, not in the DEI days, but the old days was you were a top flight scholar, you were an effective teacher, and at some point you decided to go into be a dean. And then you were upperly mobile. You wrote some memos that sounded like you were kind of woke. And then you were hired as an assistant provost. You moved. You went to provo. And then you finally end up as the president. Okay. And you're supposed to be, you know, you have a PhD, a JD, all these different degrees. And so here you go in front of the Congress and you think, Burgess Owens, a football player, Stephanie, I know she went to Harvard, but come on. And here's a guy that was in business and <laughs> I'm just going to go in there and, you know, just pathetic people. How dare they? I'll just talk about context. They don't even know. And man, Stephanie just she just it was like she put them in a car and slowly said, press on the accelerator and go over the cliff. And they right. did. It was like, well, do you think that River to the Sea and World Global Intifada is equivalent to wiping out the, all the Jews? And yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, and you do this and this and this, and then they said, and it's okay. <laughs> and then the, she was just waiting for them to say, it depends. It depends. So the thing that really struck me is what I'm trying to get is. I had a lot of admiration for the House Republicans that were conducting these inquiries. These people come from all walks of life, right. and they, they just remind us how much smarter, how much common sense, better common sense they had, how much more they were logical and analytical than these academics who were just pathetic. They chewed them up, for, up and spit them out. It was yeah. just pathetic. I could not believe how poorly they did. And then when they tried to apologize the next day, they just compounded. That was one takeaway. The, the other takeaway, the second one was they were just lying, Jack. They were, God, they, just, they were like Gavin Newsom in that debate because they said, well, it, it's context and we, we have free speech. No, you don't. That's a whole other issue, whether it's a free speech to say that you want to eliminate Jews, hate speech. But the point is not whether it is legal or not or should be legal or not. I don't think it should. But, you know, people who are libertarians and First Amendment purists say, you know what, I mean, say whatever you want. OK, but they don't believe that, because if you apply to Harvard and you say something untoward in between the time you've been admitted and you are accepted about trans or gay or black, they're not going to let you in. They're going to revoke your admission. Right. And if you're if you're a rolling fly, you make an fire the the esteemed economist. You make an off color joke or something that can be interpreted as you're going to you're going to be in trouble. And they suspend people all the time. And Stefanik pointed out, if you're fat and you make fun of fat people, they're going to suspend you. They, right. they don't believe in free speech or due process. Like the, and, the, uh, the uh, UPenn lady who specifically said our policies are tied to, to the constitutional protection of free speech or something to that, to that no, effect. But no. it's in her, Amy Wax. Is it Amy Wax? Yes. <laughs> Who's She's right there. By, yeah. They go after her all the time. They've taken classes away. From, look what they did to Scott Atlas. What did Scott Atlas do? He, 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 he said everything. He was Nostradamus. He said everything that was going to happen, happened, you know, about the lockdown. It's going to yeah. cause more damage to school-aged children. People are going to miss cancer screenings. The economy is going to be ruined. Spousal boost. And they, what did they do? They cited him and humiliated him at the School of Medicine. They tried to take his 
you know, he was put on leave. And yeah. so they do this all the time. And the only thing that they reminded us was, if, if you're Jewish mm-hmm. and you are, if you're Jewish and you're subject to a hate speech, that's okay with us. Right. So then that, the third thing then, as I was asking myself, well, why is that? Uh, why is that? Well, because they took the old Marxist boilerplate and then the old Gramsci cultural Marxism, and they put race in it because the old upwardly mobile middle class doesn't work very well under the Marxist paradigm that you're going to have this proletariat's going to seize power because they're generation after generation exploit it. And in America, today's guy who makes 600000 may not be making it tomorrow. And the guy who had nothing, and I'm looking out at my out my window, and I can see farms where people came here with nothing, and they own five, six, eight thousand 8,000 acres. So this is an upwardly mobile society compared to the rest of the world. So they have race as the immutable uh, sign of oppression. Because that way, Brock can always be a victim, no matter if he's worth a billion dollars. And that way, LeBron is always a victim. So that's what they do. And in that paradigm of Marxist binaries, there's no middle class. There's no middle group. There's nothing. There's just peasants and lords, you know, oppressed, oppressors, victims, victimizers. On that hierarchy... Jews are so-called white. I mean, I know people are going to say, well, they were, Hitler said they weren't, they weren't Aryans. Yeah, well, they, he was an anti-Semite and these people are anti-Semites who believe that, you know what, now we've decided they're not, they're, they're not uh, non-white, they're white and therefore they're oppressors, they're colonialists, they're settlers. And therefore we can say anything we want about them and we can call them all, we can if we're the head of the Harvard Law Review, we can get in the guy's way and not let him walk by. If we see a bunch of Jews in the Cooper Union, so what? We'll try to terrorize them. If well, we, but, but wait, but wait! I thought there were safe places, and in, in there are safe places. These institutions, there are right? safe places. They're racist safe places. Yeah. They're for people who are marginalized, who are marginalized. Therefore, the child of a guy who's a Wall Street black lawyer or. Uh, a Latino orthodontist, his kid, just or an Argentina aristocrat, anybody who can claim a victimized status under their rules. And they don't really tell us what the rules are, by the way, Jack. Right. Because what if they did, they would say, wait a minute, you're borrowing the one sixteenth drop rule from the old Confederacy? That's what you're doing to say somebody is not white? Well, yeah, more or less. And so they're really... Once you go down this racist paradigm, you have to have rules. And they and you ask those people, and I've asked them before at different universities, okay, so who is Latino and who's black? And they won't don't want to tell you. But if you press them, it's one eighth or one sixteenth that can right. claim that. And so in in that paradigm, it's okay. It's open season on white dash Jews and they suffer the additional wage because these people are anti-Semitic and they see another thing is that I mentioned in the piece why are they so emboldened all these Middle Eastern students why are these faculty so sure there's no consequences and that one of the answers is 
we've got a third of a million, uh, just like Chinese from the Middle East. They're everywhere, foreign students. They pay 110% of uh, tuition. And they come over here from the most godforsaken dictatorships, uh, you know, Syria, uh, Iran, even Iraq, Jordan, Egypt, Yemen, you name it, West Bank, Gaza. And they get oil fueled scholarships and they're a huge presence on campus and they, if you look at once you get rid of the sat and comparative rankings of gpas and once you go into repertory admissions where you get you admit people beyond their proportional representation and that means your white so-called white population on campus goes to 20 to 40 percent within your old idea of a, a meritocracy is destroyed so the jewish percentage at Harvard or Princeton was always different. It was the most anti-Semitic, I think, had the lowest number of Jews. But the the number of Jewish students at, at Yale or Stanford or Harvard has really dropped. It's gone from 25, 30 percent to 10 to 15 percent. So you add that second uh, calculus in that there's a lot of people from the Middle East and there's a lot fewer American Jews. And then there's a third tesser in that mosaic, and that is you're letting people in with no SAT score and no ranked GPA. As I said, Victor comes from Salma High School. My GPA is just as good as somebody at um, the Lowell High School in San Francisco. And once you do that, then you're saying to all these students that you let in, Five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the type of instruction, the, the, the quality of the courses, the admission standards that made us the beacon of the world as far as top-ranked universities, it was all racist. It was all a sham. It was just a construct. So we're going to destroy every. Just forget what we said 10 years ago. We're going to destroy our own standards because they were racist. So we're going to let you all in for your statement at Stanford. If you write BLM, 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 remember that guy, Black Lives yeah. Matter? He got in. And so once you bring them in, that's not the end. That's the beginning of the problem. Because then you have to tell the faculty, inflate the grades or cut yeah. the workload or become a systemic racism. And so you end up like Yale with 80% of the grades or A's. Yeah. So you have a lot of students on campus at Stanford. We had a black list where it appeared that students in the DEI uh, industry had the names of professors who were not sympathetic to letting students out to protest or giving students more time to take exams or not really enforcing deadlines for papers because of uh, the marginalized people had been victims of systemic racism. And some professors, Jack, didn't understand that. And they were old fogies or racists that stuck to old ossified calcified standards. And that's just emblematic of what this whole calculus. So what I'm saying in this windy ran is you got a campus now, the elite campus, where 70 or 80% are getting A's, where you have a lot of Middle Eastern students, and the, the so-called white population is down to 20, 30, 40%, even though they make up 67 to 70% of the population. And you've got a lot of students who were let in 
that did would not have been let in according to their standards, not yours, not mine, their standards. And they have to adjust. And that means that these students are very angry when they get there. They come in, they say, you let me into Stanford and Harvard? And now you want me to take this stupid class in Shakespeare, this white guy? You want me to, to study the Peloponnesian War? I want to take, you know, ideology of the Middle East. I want to have take the poetics of manhood. I want to take uh, uh, Chicano dance. I want to take... Uh, the cons- the black movie of the 1960s. That's what I want to take. And, and I want a six-figure job when I graduate. Exactly. So you've got a lot of students that are angry because they feel that uh, they were led into these exclusive schools and they can't do the work. And the schools then have to adjust under their pressure. You have a lot of Middle Eastern. You have a lot fewer white students and a lot, right. lot fewer Jewish students. And you put all that together. And there's one other final criterion. It's not 1970 with a $20 million endowment. It's 50 to 60 billion at Harvard. It's nearly 40 at Yale or higher. It's nearly 38 or something at Stanford. So they feel with that endowment income and they can get two, three, four billion a year and it's not taxed. They feel, well, you know, they're not going to give me $100 million. So we have a Jewish American guy, and maybe he won't give us the $50 million, But we can, do we can I worry? tough it out. Yeah. yeah. Do I worry more about him? Or right. do I write something on October 7th that says, right. we, this is horrific. This is pre-civilizational. Because they think, wait, wait a minute. If I write something critical of Israel, I might you know, please some of the donors, but man, the faculty that's DEI, all the students are going to be in my office. They're going to be screaming and yelling at me. We put, we stack that board with DEI. They're going to get angry at me. So I'll just take the path of least resistance. And although I comment on everything from George Floyd to the election of Donald Trump at Stanford, when Donald Trump got elected, we got memos from administrators that there were milk and cookies, there were safe spaces, there right. were stuffed animals. Play-Doh, right. Yeah, yeah, to commiserate. Bubbles, we yeah. To, to address our psychological trauma. But yeah. on this thing, they either didn't say a word or when they did speak, it was to show they were on the one hand, on the other hand. Yeah. And they did this, of course, before the IDF responded. So... Uh, it wasn't that they had any grounds to say the IDF overreacted, which they haven't, but they could have used that. They just didn't say anything or they were so anemic and wishy-washy that it came out anti-Israel and pro-Hamas. And and, and now, uh, because they weigh in on everything. There's other one thing is after they these three blind mice were humiliated, right. have you noticed there's a lot of presidents now who for the first time want to be on the record? <laughs> they're coming out there. We got, I got a memo from our president interim, a new calibration of the October 7th uh, and the anti-Semitism. Uh-huh. And so a lot of presidents are saying, wait a minute, the last, they're going to have more investigation. I'm not going to go before that committee right. and I'm going to get a lot of angry people at me. So I'm going to write my own little memo. Not in our, they always are the same. There's a little factory somewhere in the United States where a guy turns out memos and they signed it. And it's always, uh, this is not who we are, Jack. This is not who we are. This is yeah. not in my na- not in our name. And these are uh, insurance policies for their own jobs. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it was it was pathetic. And yeah. the only yeah. good thing that came out of this horrific tragedy is the 
it's a one-eyed jack. Some they flip the cards over, and you saw what the, what's really these universities are, and why we are subsidizing with millions of federal research dollars and right. tax exemptions and student loans. I don't know, but believe me, if you want to talk to someone who has a moral sense, you got a lot better chance talking to your electrician or your plumber or your drywall guy than you do your Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Penn, MIT, sociology major. You really yeah. do. You know, Victor, I wonder a little bit as we we uh, wrap up talking about the big dollar alumni donors and the size of these endowments that I wonder if some of the schools, they're so big. Now, they don't give a rat's ass at these schools about the guys that give $1,000 or complaining about it. So they don't care because you can't write big checks. Shut up. But I think it's at the point with, with the Harvard-sized endowments that the guy that does give $100 million is now possibly ignorable, Right. I don't in their complaints. Uh, well, Ross Stevens was the guy you remember that that was going to. He's trying to get back the withdrawal, the hundred right. million, right? And that kind of coincided with Miss McGill's. Didn't they suggest that she leave the board, or she's under pressure to leave? To leave, and also there's an effort to get rid of the chairman of the board, also. At, yeah, at, at UPenn. This is UPenn, but. Yeah, I, 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 I think that was that was such a huge gift that they were afraid it would start a stampede. And so they thought, is it really worth having Liz McGill here for a hundred million bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm 20, 30, 40, 50. But the problem is there's a lot of other guys that maybe she can cost us a billion dollars. And we've got all these problems that we solve a lot of problems and we just get rid of her. Pay her, we'll pay her a couple million dollars and bye bye. Yeah, it could be, but I just think the the math might might be getting to to the point. I'm repeating myself. With no, you're no, yeah, I, 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 no, I agree with you. I agree with you, especially. But what they're also afraid of is uh, if there is a Republican tsunami. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there, and you get. And you'd look at the Heritage Foundation and, and other groups like that that are preparing blueprints to hit the ground. Right. And DeSantis, they're talking to DeSantis, they're talking to Haiti, but they're even talking to Trump. Don't do what you did, Mr. Trump, in 2017 when every both sides were re, had rejected him and he had no choice, but hit the ground running with three, four, 500 people you can trust. And that's why right. they're calling him a dictator. They're scared stiff of that. But if they go in there, they can do anything they want that's legal. And one of the things they can say is, um, we'll just condition our, uh, we'll just condition the research money on the following criteria that you'll right. have to honor. You cannot discriminate on the base of race. If you do, you're not going to get research money. Or, you know what? We like Hillsdale College. We like Pepperdine. But um, any endowment over a billion dollars, we're going to tax. We'll just tax them. So we like all the small schools, but anything over a billion or a billion and a half dollars, you're going to pay, you know, your 40% income tax on that. 
and that will dry up the DEI administrative blow very quickly. Or they might say, you know, we tried the student loans, but, you know, 30 percent of them are in default. It's been very pernicious because it creates prolonged adolescence where these kids go there. They take three, six, nine units. They know there's no penalty from defaulting. The the loans aren't that cheap anyway. So we're just going to get out, write the whole damn thing off. And if you guys want to loan money to students, Mr. Harvard, you do it on your own endowment. You've got $50 billion. Just set aside $10 billion and yeah. say this, this backs up the loans of Harvard students. And same thing with Stanford and Yale. And I guarantee you, they will graduate in four years and they will get a competitive education so they can earn the money to pay back those loans. So yeah. get the moral hazard where it belongs. And you do that. And I think and maybe you should say to the, the the donor class, you know, if you really like Harvard or Stanford or Penn, just give them the money. But we're not going to give you a write off on it. Why should the taxpayer pay 50 percent of that cost for this? Because, you know. Right. Look, look what they're teaching the students. They're get, they're coming in, and I think the most controversial thing I ever wrote was saying that we should have like a bar exam only at the undergraduate level. People got so angry, and I got such hate mail. Why don't you just have an SAT your senior year? Everybody in the United States are such that you know we have an SAT. They used to for admission, and the purpose with the SAT was there's so many gradations of GPAs. We have no idea what people in Salma and Fowler and Kingsburg are learning, California, where I live, versus people in Atherton and, you know, Los Altos, three hours away. So we'll have an SAT and maybe a kid at Fowler High School got a perfect SAT. So that was the way that we checked it. It was based on meritocracy and it it was almost based, uh, I think you could trace some of the popularity of it, of the anti-Semitism of the 40s. 30s and 40s where Jews that were going, coming, you know, emigres that were in the Bronx and the Queens, and they were letting in gentlemen C students from these right. uh, ritzy areas. And then they said, you know what, maybe these kids don't have to go to those high schools or that live in those uh, area zip codes or whatever. Maybe they can just take the SAT. And so I think they can just say, if we did it for admissions, we'll do it on the back end. We have no idea whether a BA from Stanford is better or the student is more knowledgeable than a BA from Hillsdale College. I do because I've taught at both places. And I can tell you a BA at contemporary Hillsdale College means a lot more than a Stanford BA, especially in the humanities. So my point is, everybody has to take SAT. We'll take an arbitrary figure. Got to get 600 in the verbal and the math after four years of study. You do that, and they would panic. And we'll see. Yeah. Well, Victor, um, you've you've dispensed a lot of wisdom here today, and folks who want to get even more of your wisdom should be going to the Blade of Perseus. That's your official website. Well, you know that, but we have a lot of new listeners. They might not know that. Go to victorhanson.com. That's the web address, and you will you will find um, links to everything Victor writes for American Greatness and for his weekly syndicated column. You will find uh, links to his other appearances, 
to his forthcoming book, which, by the way, is The End of Everything, How Wars Descend into Annihilation. That's coming out in May of 2024, links to his other books, uh, the archives of this podcast, and the articles he writes exclusively for The Blade of Perseus. They've got a little black box with the word ultra on them, and you're going to click on it, won't open up because you have to subscribe. And if you're a fan of Victor's writings, you should be subscribing. Victor writes two or three ultra pieces every week. So that's uh, how much, how's it cost? What do I do? Well, there's a subscribe button there on the top of the homepage. Click on it. It's $5 a month. $5 gets you in the door. Anyways, I like to say, but it's discounted full year, $50. So go to the Blade of Perseus at Victor Hansen. Dot com. We're talking before just now about the piece Victor wrote for Twitter slash X. And if you want to follow Victor, his handle is at, yeah, at sign VD Hansen. If you're on Facebook, uh, VDH's Morning Cup, check that out. What else? Oh, there's on Facebook, there's a lovely, terrific um, fan club. It's not formally, officially affiliated, but just great people. Um and that's called the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. So uh, do do uh, do go there. As for me, Jack Fowler, I write Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we are trying to strengthen civil society. And Civil Thoughts gives you fourteen. Um, I, I, I find fourteen essays and articles come across the previous week that I think. You might enjoy reading. I give you the link. I give you an excerpt. It's free. We're not selling names, no risk, etc. How do you get it? Go to civilthoughts.com and sign up. So, Victor, I will wrap up the show as because we are at the end with the with a comment that someone left at iTunes slash Apple, which you can you can rate the, the Victor Davis Hanson show there, zero to five stars. Thanks to all those who take the uh, time to do that. And the average over close to 7,000 people is 4.9 stars. So that's great. Everyone's loving it. Many people leave comments. We read them all. And here's one that's titled, A Gentleman and a Scholar. Succinctly, the very best, enlightening, entertaining, and engaging and enjoyable experience in e-broadcasting, e-broadcasting every time. With much respect, M. Bateman, uh, Edmonton, this says that city, not Winnipeg, North and Alberta, who also goes by one green, one yellow. Well, anyway, uh, M. Bateman, very kind of you to say that about gentleman and scholar, Victor Davis Hanson. Victor, you've been terrific today. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is an audience from all the comments that I really admire because you don't need context. <laughs> you <laughs> you understand that you have a basic moral and, and yeah. analytical uh, sense of what's right and what's wrong without pleading context. And that in that case, at least, you're all brighter and more reliable than the presidents of our top institutions. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. I believe that. I really do. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? 
The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com.